This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 362 with Carol Gavani. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 362. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Carol Gavani, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so thrilled to be here today, Sarah. It's going to be a powerful conversation. It's going to be an emotional conversation, but I also think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so too. I can't wait. I know. I'm excited. So I have to tell people, I like to always let people know how I'm connected to guests and I'll let people know that we were connected through a mutual business contact, Julie Fry, who's actually been on the show. And when Julie introduced us, she kind of left it. She's like, you guys have these couple things in common. You need to meet. I'll let you take it from here. (laughs) Yes. And then we ended up getting on Skype just to kind of chat for a few minutes and We just hit it off so beautifully and connected so immediately. And oh my gosh, I loved that conversation. Oh my gosh, me too. Thank goodness for Julie, right? For being able to connect us. I know. Thank you so much. Yes. But yeah, that was a great kind of mini convo. And then, yeah, we just have so much in common. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think that was really special about that conversation that I think is a good reminder and a good lesson is that when we got talking, we quickly recognized, so and we'll be digging into a lot of this on our conversation today, we started talking about infertility and because we knew we had that in common. That was part of Julie's introduction. But one of the things that 
as we got into that conversation that happened is we started to recognize some of the similarities in our stories and we really quickly got vulnerable and open and honest mm-hmm. with each other and on a pretty intimate level within like five minutes of meeting each other on Skype or Zoom or whatever. And, I know. <laughs> but it created like this magic. And I think that that's not a place women go to automatically. And yeah. I also feel like, I mean, I left that conversation like, oh my gosh, like now we're bonded for life. <laughs> and, yes. and you so kindly sent me a necklace right afterwards, which we're going to be talking about your jewelry. Oh. But that just like reinforced the whole thing where I was like, it wasn't just me. Like we really are connected for life. <laughs> Yes, we are. We are. That was such a good, you know, conversation. And you're right. I felt like we didn't even have to go through the, hi, I'm Carol. I'm Sarah. And this is where I'm from. And this is where I live. I felt like we just went from zero to 50. Just like that. And it was a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good reminder to trust when someone wants to make an introduction when someone's like, I think you'll really hit it off with this person. Listen to them. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Listen, listen. It's there for a reason. Definitely. So So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now beyond your bio and what you're most excited about. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm most excited right now about possibilities. So I feel like I really do have the power to create my own life. And I'm in the midst of doing that. I think way back when, I kind of did the things that were expected of me. So, you know, you graduate high school, you go to college, after college, you find a job, you kind of stay in the job, even if you don't really like it, because you keep getting promoted and you get more money and you just kind of do these things and you don't really think about them. And now I feel like I've had much time to Mm -hmm. pause and to think. And I've done this collectively with my husband because of, I think a lot of that stems from the infertility that we did have to go through. But it's been really powerful, I'd have to say, because I feel like I really do have the freedom and the power to decide what is it that we want to do next and where is it that I want to go. So I'm super excited for that. It's also very scary because so much of it is unknown Mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of going with it. But I do know that the past, you know, 40 plus years have served me thus far and they've gotten me to where I am. So I just have to trust that the next 40 years are going to be okay. So it's both simultaneous, scary, frightening and trusting, but also I'm super excited for what is to come. I love that. And are you a spontaneous go with the flow kind of person by nature? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to point out when you kind of make a conscientious choice around that, and that's not in your nature, like that in and of itself is a big, scary move. Oh my gosh, for sure. No, I am a planner. I want to know what we are having for dinner, even if it's not what the exact meal is, but what are the thoughts? What are the options? I just want to know, you know, if I go to a meeting, what is the agenda? What can we expect? If we're going to go to a friend's house, what are we going to do there? (laughs) I've learned to let a lot of that go, but I think that's just how I'm wired. I like to plan. I like to do to-do lists. I like to check things off. That's just the way I approach it. Yeah. So you'll appreciate this. We were recently in Portugal with two other families and we would wake up every morning and I'm like totally fine sitting on the couch or on the deck having a cup of coffee for like, you know, 45 minutes or so. But then I was like, what's the plan? And there was probably three days in a row maybe where like, We'd get up because of the time change, we were getting up a little later. So maybe get up at like between 8.30 and 9 or something. And then 
people would still be sitting around sipping coffee like at noon. And I was like jumping out of my skin that we didn't have a plan. And I was oh trying gosh. to be super like, no, it's cool. We're on vacation. But I was like sweating. Like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What time are we going to do? <laughs> like, oh it was, my gosh. It was so not relaxing to me because we didn't have a plan. And if we had had a plan, like we're just going to hang out and chill till noon and then we're going to do something, I would have been fine. But not knowing, right. like there was no schedule around the chilling. <laughs> Oh my God. Totally. I'm right there with you. Totally. Oh. If that's on the agenda to chill. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> if it's not, I, I know I get a little nervous. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big lesson to me. And I didn't realize I was so much that way. And I think I was, because it was people I didn't know super well and I hadn't traveled with them a lot. I was like trying to be really sensitive to like, Oh, they just need to relax right now. But I was like, this is so not relaxing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so oh my, funny. that's so funny. <laughs> yes. So I want to talk a little bit about, and I'm kind of guessing that a lot of this shift for you has come about. And as you've referenced as well, as a result of all the unpredictability and uncertainty that comes with infertility. And so I want to go into your journey into motherhood and then how that changed and shifted and your second experience trying to get pregnant a second time. Yeah. Yeah. So I had what's called secondary infertility and that means I was unable to get or sustain pregnancy the second time around. So the first time around was super easy. The moment we had decided, Hey, let's, try for a baby. It happened. And the pregnancy itself was very textbook. So boring, uneventful, which is awesome, right? Because that's what you want. But before my daughter turned a year, I was thinking, okay, I would love to add to the family. Let's kind of get the ball rolling. And we tried for several months and nothing was happening. And it's so funny because at the time I had this kind of knowing, I just had a feeling that something was going on, but I just didn't know what. And so when I finally got some lab work done by my doctor, she called and just said very brutally, I can't help you because she was Mm -hmm. just an OB. She just said, I can't help you. You're going to have to go to a fertility clinic if this is the path that you want to take and you want to, you know, add to your family. But there's nothing more that can be done here because we just see pregnant ladies, basically. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, I just felt devastated, you know, from that because it was so easy the first time around. And so I want to just interject with a question. Did she have lab work that was able to give her this like very definitive answer that like kind of the road stops here in terms of our level of care? Correct. She did. Yeah, she did. And I actually I have forgotten what the actual lab results were, but. I think it was my AMH or my ANH. That's what I was thinking. For people who've never gone through infertility, it's just a bunch of letters. But if you've been through infertility, you're like, it's the AMH. Everything's about the AMH. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And she said they were so low. It was like a point four, I think. And I had that too. At my age, it should have been at least 1.0 and over. And there was just her work was done. And she was so sorry. But kind of that was all that she could do. Right. And so, you know, so then began the road of almost three years of all of the things that come along with infertility. So it turns out I had diminished ovarian reserve. And what Mm -hmm. that means is for my age, I had lower quality and lower quantity of eggs. And that's what the AMH measures for people who don't know. So and because that's what the same thing that I had, it was like, it's not only is your reserves low, but they're also not great quality. And which is you're like, can I just eat some more vegetables? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I know. And I did eat more vegetables because I went on this whole clean eating kick and I did all of the things. But yes, 
it's devastating because yeah. you're thinking, okay, if it's just, you know, the quantity, maybe we can pump myself full of drugs and we can yeah. get as many eggs as possible. But if it's also the quality of the eggs, I think there's just more challenges mm-hmm. that go along with it. Right. And so I did all the things. Once I had my first meeting at the fertility clinic, so in between that time, I should preface that we moved the whole family from San Francisco to the Seattle area. So I said goodbye to everyone. My OBGYN in San Francisco came up here. And then the following month, I had my first appointment at the fertility clinic Mm. here in Seattle. And they were very kind and gracious. And I felt like they really held my hand through the whole thing. And I'm so grateful for their expertise and just their human touch, because it really is a devastating thing. Unless one goes through it themselves or one has a friend that goes through it, it's really hard to understand that level of, you know, darkness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer endocrine system disruption and liver toxicity which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special unique and important in terms of how they are able to filter water they also have water purifiers to fit every type of home so like the installation free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options they even have wi-fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options so i'm so excited about our new AquaTrue and here's the thing I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. I think that there's a little bit of, and like you said, if you haven't gone through it, you don't know. Because I think that for someone who's never gone through it, you think, well, just do IVF or just do this or just do that. But Mm -hmm. like when you're faced with all of the decision making around that, it's so overwhelming. And there's a lot of grieving that goes with like, why can't this just happen normally for me like everyone else? Oh my God, for sure. Because that's kind of what life is, right? Like you come out with a set of reproductive organs, like virtually everyone. And you are born to yes, accomplish things and be a productive citizen and experience life. But for a lot of people, that does include procreation. That's just kind of the baseline of living things, animals, you know, just all living things. And so absolutely, there are plenty of people, millions of people who choose to not live with children, or that's not the path they want to take. So for sure, that's an option. But for a lot of people, they do want to have a family, and they do want to add to that family. And it's just kind of a part of the whole experience. And so when you can't have that as something as easy as, you know, just having sex and creating this baby, it really is such a blow. It really is. And I think that was one of the more difficult things to get around because it wasn't like I was trying to study hard and get into a good school. And it had nothing to do with my ability. It was beyond me. It was my body makeup and where I was at that time in my life. And that was very difficult, very challenging. And I think when you have it going on for years, because oftentimes people with infertility, it's not just like a six month thing and you're in and out. For most people, it's years. And I actually think for myself, it was just under three years from the time I started trying to the time I got pregnant with Mm. my now son. And three years is a relatively short time as well. I've just known so many people since I've become immersed in this world who have done five years, 10 years of trying to have their first kid or complete their family. Right. And three years when you're in it feels like forever. So I can't imagine Mm -hmm. like when we were going through it, I actually had two people tell me they'd gone through like nine and 10 year journeys. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my, I can't even imagine So yeah, like because you're living in two week cycles between like, did I ovulate? Did I get pregnant? Did I ovulate? Did Mm -hmm. I get pregnant? So the years go very slowly. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what it was like because you already had a child. And so you Mm -hmm. haven't just, not that that makes anything easier, but you have a busyness and a level of distraction in your life that maybe made time go a little faster just because you had a lot on your plate versus someone who doesn't have a baby yet. And like, I was like sitting at home watching TV crying because I didn't have the distraction of a toddler to chase after. Um, right. But time right. just goes very, very slow. It does. <clears throat> and you're exhausted and yeah. you're beat down. And it's like you're running this endless marathon with no light at the mm-hmm. end of it all. And I felt like, and I don't know if you felt this way too, but I felt like I was screaming underwater for yeah. a lot of those moments and those years. Sometimes I felt like people could see me. I was under, but they couldn't hear me. Other Mm. times I felt like they couldn't hear me or see me because the water was so murky. Mm. And if they could hear me, it was just this garbling of nonsense. Like nothing seemed to make sense. Yeah. And, you know, what I like to say to people who haven't experienced it is also is chronic. Mm -hmm. It's like this chronic condition that you can't take a pill 
and it goes away or go lie down, go to sleep and you feel better. It's just always on the mind, even when you're consciously trying to not think about it. Right. It's always there. Absolutely. And even when I don't know if you went through this, because I definitely know a lot of people who are like, well, we're just going to take a break from our fertility treatments, whatever, for the next three months or six months or whatever, because you think you can just like compartmentalize it and shut it off. And I think that Mm -hmm. my experience in talking to people about this is that the husbands typically can. They're like, well, we're taking a break. And the wives are like, but I'm still checking when I'm ovulating. Like, you just can't let it go. So like, there's no respite from it. And I think because it is in these two week cycles, it's just like, you're always kind of revving up for the next thing and the decision making around it. It's like endless decisions around what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How much is it going to cost? How are you going to pay for it? Uh, What lengths are you willing to go to? And that doesn't ever stop. Like there's no point does a fertility clinic say like, they don't make the decisions for you. They give you the options and then they're like, it'll be this many thousands of dollars or this many thousands of dollars. Which one would you like? <laughs> exactly. And you can take out a loan if you'd like. Right. We have financial aid people right. who can help you navigate that process. Yes. Totally. Like every visit to the office is coupled with like, I had to, I remember when I did it, I did it through the University of Washington and every visit was like at the end, I'd have to go meet with the financial planner person or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, I became friends with her <laughs> at the end of every visit, you're like doing a check-in on like, and here's your package and here's how you're paying for it. And here's where you're at with it. And it was like going in and like getting a car loan every single time you had to go in. It was so annoying. I mean, the woman couldn't have been nicer, but it's such a weird experience. It is so weird. It's very surreal. Yes. So it's just very surreal. You're like, okay, here, take whatever you want. I'm signing my life away. (laughs) Yeah. But we're going to go for another try. Right. Yeah. yeah. And at no point is it like a time, especially when you're in those clinical situations, there's no point where you're like, okay, well, I guess now's the time we say stop. I mean, for us, there wasn't even a time where we clearly said we were going to start. Like we just kind of went to get some information and then like the ball just kind of kept rolling. Mm. And we had, you know, at a certain point be like, okay, like there needs to be a point where we're going to draw a line in the sand. And where's that line going to be? Because they're constantly like, well, just come back for this next (laughs) and bring your checkbook. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) So, yeah, it is very surreal. So, well, it was different between the two. So with Vinny, we did not share what was going on with Vinny as it was happening with very many people. And that all felt very heavy to me. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled my way through that. And those appointments were like every appointment was like it felt very lonely and isolating. And then when we went through it the second time, and I think so much of this had to do with the fact that we already had a child, but when we went through the second time, I was way lighter about it. And Mm -hmm. I almost felt like I was able to go in and out of the clinic, like laughing and like kind of making a joke about a lot of this stuff. I think I was just way less attached to the outcome because I already, in my I was like, I mean, I already have one child and I know there's so many people who are coming here who don't have any, like I Mm kind of just kept checking myself. So those experiences were really different. Like everything felt so heavy the first time. And then the second time I was like, this is kind of hilarious the way this all goes down. <laughs> and I don't oh know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you probably didn't have that this, when you went through it because you had not gone through that in your first pregnancy. You didn't know what the infertility world was like. But I'm wondering, were there moments of levity for you where you were like, this is crazy and ridiculous. And sometimes you just have to laugh. Oh my God. I wish there were. I really wish there, there were. No, I think... You know, I've said this to people. If I experienced the infertility roller coaster the first time for the first child, I don't think I would have tried for it again. Oh, interesting. It was so, just so heavy and yeah. so dark 
and depressing for me. And it's so interesting that you said that you kind of kept it a little bit quiet when you were, you know, trying to get Vinny. Mm. I felt like I was talking people's ears off for my whole journey. And what I found was it was just so much fatigue Mm. because even though I had a lot of people to talk about this with, even if they hadn't experienced it themselves, but just, you know, with girlfriends Mm -hmm. on the phone, texting, whatever it was, they were living their lives. Like they were working, they have their own lives and families and boyfriends and vacations. And so I could tell after a while, like I felt like year two, especially year two and a half, it was just like, okay, you've got to pick another topic to talk about. Yeah. And I can laugh at that now, you know, because it's so much, I'm out of it. I'm out of the world and it's so light now. But when I was in it, it just felt like that was the only world I was living in. And it really pushes pause on everything else in your life. So you really don't have anything else to talk about. You're like, this is the only thing I'm thinking about and focusing on. So I really have nothing else to contribute. Completely. It's so funny. I remember meeting up with some girlfriends for dinner and they were talking about, Hamilton, because I think one had just gone to New York. And this was, you know, a few years ago. And I looked at them and I said, what's Hamilton? And they were like, wait, what rock have you been living under? And I thought, I don't watch TV anymore. Like the only thing that I do is I pick up my phone. I scour the internet for more information. Mm -hmm. I'll reread something that I've read 10 times before. I'll look for success stories. Like I'm looking for any small nugget of hope to get me through the next hour and to the next day. Yeah, that's all I was doing was trying to find some like, semblance of connection somewhere or some success story. Right. And there's endless like forums that you can get on, where people will tell like they lay out their stories in great detail, which is sometimes comforting, sometimes not, but you're Mm -hmm. constantly looking for a mirror to be like, Oh, it took her this long and this many cycles and she did it this way. And that's what we're doing. And then she had this outcome. So that could be me (laughs) or the opposite where she's like, I had 13 miscarriages and you're like, Oh my gosh, I never could live if I had 13, you know, like you're just constantly looking at these other people's stories and there's no shortage of them when you start Googling. And I definitely did that myself. And I've talked to other girlfriends who've done that. And you have to be like, I got to take a step back from the Google because it's really consuming and it doesn't offer you the hope that you're looking for. Exactly. My husband would say to me every night, put down your phone. Mm. You are not going to find anything new that you haven't already searched for 10 minutes ago. Like there's nothing. Take a rest, go to sleep, meditate, do something where you can reset your mind almost and just chill out. But it was so hard for me to do that. And I think it's because I am a planner, right? Yeah. Like I, yeah, I was going to say if you're a thing off. Yeah. If you're, a, yeah. which I get the sense, like, and we probably talked about this when we spoke before, but if you're like that high achiever type, a kind of personality, check the box, make the list kind of person. This is like for infertility is your worst nightmare. It is. You can't control yes. any of it. You can't manage it. The checklist is not like in a linear fashion. You can't oh put dates on the calendar. And I remember my totally. husband saying, we were trying to get pregnant with Vinny and he kept on wanting to like plan trip. He's like, Oh, we have a friend who's in Australia for the year. We should go visit. And I was like, Oh my, are you kidding me? And he was like, <laughs> well, we can't just put our life on hold for this. And I was like, but we can't not put our life on hold for this. And it was so interesting in my type anus. I was like, we need to be here in Seattle for every single thing to go in this order. And he was just not at all on the same page with that. And we had multiple arguments about like whether or not we should put our lives on hold. And when we decided to try the second time, mm-hmm. he was kind of like being as compassionate as he could be. But he's like, I can't go through that the way we did it last time. I can't have it be this consuming thing where we put our whole lives on hold. And I 
again, was like defensive about it. I was like, you don't understand though, when it's your body and you're having to keep track of every single little thing on a daily basis, you can't not put your life on hold. Completely. Yes. I completely relate to that. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about already having one child and what were your thoughts around, and I'll give my experience and then you can kind of counter with yours. So like I said, we already had Vinny when we started trying for a second. And so I really tried to embrace, like, we've already hit the jackpot once. So if it doesn't work out, it'll be fine. And I really felt like I held strong with that and kept things very light around that until we found out that IVF didn't work. And that was kind of the end of the road for us. Like in terms of at that point, we had gone through a lot of resources. And so we were like, this needs to be the end of the rope. And I was devastated and I did not see that coming. I'm curious for you, like, what was your self-talk around it? Did it help you feel better that you already had one and that like you could be content with that if you had to be, or were you just completely fixated on the second baby has to come to fruition? A little bit of both, but more so totally fixated. I couldn't believe. So I just felt all the feelings. I felt like a failure. I felt like I was broken, not enough, incomplete. I felt like I had done everything right, quote unquote. You know, I'm, I, like I'd mentioned before, I went to college, I met this person, we got married, we had a baby. And so we did everything like in the traditional order. And so it just was so shocking that I couldn't do the one simple kind of primal thing that we're set to do. So there was that coupled with the fact that it felt very isolating for myself to go to a support group, which I only went to a couple of them and to say, I already have a child, you know, when you're doing Mm, the introductions and every single other person at that table, they would kill to have the one baby. That's all they want. So in many ways, we just could not relate at all. It is two different paths. Yeah. So there would be moments like not even, I would say like fleeting minutes of time where I would think, okay, if this doesn't work out, if it's not in the cards for us and me and this family, and we are you know, going to be a family of three, I've got to find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. I would tell myself that and then I would feel okay about it for a couple minutes. And then something else would happen, I would have another thought and then I would go down my own rabbit hole again of no, but you haven't tried this. You haven't tried, you know, this thing and that thing. And I tried all of the things you name it, I tried it. I think the only thing I did not try. And someone mentioned this to me last year or so was essential oils. (laughs) But everything else I had tried, I mean, I had tried fertility yoga, fertility meditation, fertility acupuncture, the support groups in person, the support groups online, chatting with people. There was a therapist that I talked to off and on who specialized in fertility. She was actually attached to the fertility clinic, clean eating, no drinking, prayer. I did everything, just everything that you could think of, eating, you know, oh gosh, what did I have first thing when I woke up? Like celery juice and wheatgrass and just... Did you do the pineapple thing? I did not do do the pineapple thing. My acupuncturist told me this and then she like referenced me to a book that had it as well. But we're like, it's like after a certain... It's around the day that you expect implantation to happen. You're supposed to eat like as much pineapple as possible, specifically the pineapple core. And so Mm -hmm. I was traveling and I remember packing like pounds of pineapple in Tupperware and getting them through security at the airport. And I was like, so 
panicked that TSA was going to take away my pineapple. And it sounds so ridiculous when I say this out loud, but I was like, this is like my baby right here. Like if TSA tries to take this away, I will throw down. And luckily they didn't. And it was fine. And then, and then eating the pineapple core also is not pleasurable. Like it's really chewy. So I'm like sitting on the plane, like chewing this pineapple core. Oh my goodness. The things that you do and you're like, it seems so funny and comical after the fact Mm -hmm. that when you're in it, you're like crying while you're eating your pineapple core. Like everything is just like you said, the heaviness around it and the investment in terms of like anything that you'll try. You're like, yes, absolutely. I'll do this. And I don't care if I sound ridiculous, look ridiculous, smell ridiculous, like whatever. Right. I know. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't matter what it costs, what it is. You're just willing to give it a try. Right. And yeah, that was me too. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. So what is, you mentioned that you kind of gave some reference to this sense of feeling like you're swimming underwater or screaming underwater. So talk a little bit more about what infertility looks like on the outside versus the inside for a woman, because I think this is something that isn't talked about so much. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of women. And I mean, I think this kind of carries across multiple situations, whether it is infertility or having had a miscarriage or maybe a woman who had an abortion or a stillborn baby. There's so many circumstances in which a woman is grieving over something related to motherhood. And you don't ever see that on the outside unless she chooses to share that. So can you talk a little bit about what that looked like for you and just kind of your awareness around that after everything you've been through? 
Yeah, definitely. So I felt like I was living two lives mm. and I felt like, you know, to the outside world, to my daughter, to her little preschool friends, to their teachers, to everyone else, I had to put on the facade that I was okay. And I really wasn't. I was crumbling inside. It is a mental game isn't even the right word, but it's you have to have so much stamina, I think, to go through the infertility ups and downs. And I just felt like I wanted to go inside of a cave and just never come out. I didn't want to be here. That's how painful it was. But I had to be because I had someone I had to look after and who I loved with all of my heart. And I love my family and my friends. And of course, there are amazing experiences on this earth, but it almost seemed like the pain overtook me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the scary and dangerous thing about infertility. It's like, you know, you want to be a mother so bad or to complete your family and to other people because you aren't dying, you aren't physically dying. Right. It's something that you should, and I'm using air quotes here, but you should just be able to get over. Mm -hmm. Or at, um, least, at the very least compartmentalize and be like, well, I'm not going to think about that like every day. I'm just going to think right, about it like correct. on the day that I got my period. Exactly. And I'll be sad for a few hours, but right. I can just, you know, snap my fingers and get right back into the birthday party that I'm supposed to be really happy at. You know, right. it's not like that at all. It's mm -mm. so just all consuming and you just feel like someone is dragging you through the weeds and mm. there's nothing you can do. And, you know, I feel like I've read a study somewhere that said people with infertility have the same levels of anxiety, depression, and stress that people with cancer go through. Wow. And I think the difference is we just don't talk about it enough Yeah, because there's kind of a little bit of shame associated with it. It's personal. I think that's a lot of it. Is yeah. it supposed to be, and it's like when a woman, this happens a lot on social media where I see women referencing something about their periods or tampons or whatever. And they're like, sorry, if this mm -hmm. is TMI, I'm like, you know, but that it's not like 50% of the population at some point has been a woman getting a period. And so, right. I mean, maybe they're not getting a period currently, they're menopausal, whatever, but like 50% of the population is women. So it's, we can talk about periods because it happens to so many people. It's not something that like is just a select few people that should be looked upon as gross and disgusting. And I think that fertility is like that as well, that women who struggle with fertility, who have infertility, we feel this need to keep it really quiet and we don't want to make other people uncomfortable with it. But the reality is, is it touches so many people's lives and yeah. motherhood and whether it's infertility or fertility touches so many men and women's lives. Like the majority of the populations are touched by fertility and or infertility that it's really not a private thing, but we've been kind of indoctrinated to be, make it a private thing. Exactly. And that's such a shame, you know, right. I, and I think that just leads to more people being silent about yeah. it and then thinking yeah. that they're the only ones right. thinking that they're the only ones with this condition and that they feel so alone. Yeah. It's very isolating. Yeah. I want to touch back on the like you mentioned the mental game or and I was thinking like mental torture was what I was thinking but, yes that's a better word and I mean game. maybe yes. in the beginning I think maybe at the beginning there is an element that's a little bit like a game like okay I'm only going to think about it here and I'm going to do this and like when you feel like you have a plan that you can execute on it does feel a little bit more like a game where you can get yourself pumped up for the parts you need to get pumped up for but then there's a point at which it does become mental torture and the, like you said, the depression and the anxiety that accompanies it become pretty profound. And what I think it, how you can kind of make it more relatable for everyone is that there's this sense of 
every morning you wake up and you're like, okay, today's going to be a really hard day, but I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and just make it and make the best of it. And when you're doing that every single day for years on end, like the level of exhaustion that comes with that is so high. And I was thinking of a girlfriend of mine when she was going through a multiple year infertility journey, she texted me one day and she's like, I was supposed to, I'm supposed to go to her baby shower today. And I thought I was fine. Like I RSVP'd yes a few weeks ago, really feeling like I could do it and be strong. But she's like, I woke up today and I can't stop crying and I don't think I should go, but I don't want to hurt my friend's feelings. And I was like, you absolutely should not go if you don't want to go. And if your friend is a compassionate, empathetic person, they will not at all be offended. And she was so concerned about telling her friend, like, I don't think I can make it because she's like, my friend doesn't, can't relate to my situation. So my friend, you know, mm-hmm. she was worried her friend would just be like, oh, come on, just pull it together for two hours. But mm-hmm. pulling it together for two hours when you've been trying to pull it together every single day for multiple years, it's literally not possible, Sometimes, you know, on right. certain days and under certain circumstances. It's not. Again, it's nothing that you can just kind of snap your fingers and be okay with for just a short period of time and then go back to wallowing in your own misery. It's like this constant hazy fog almost Mm -hmm. that you're living in and that you are trying to come up for a breath of air. Yeah. When did you feel like you got to exhale? Like, was it when you got pregnant? Was it when your son was born? Are you still like in the process of exhaling just because it was so long? And basically after infertility, I think you have post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. I feel like after every person has a baby, I feel like there's a little bit of trauma (laughs) just taxing on the body and you deliver this human being and there's going to be some impact. I felt like I didn't get to fully exhale until maybe my son turned one. And I say that because he was born premature. We found out when he was in utero that I had this condition called IUGR, intrauterine growth restriction. So he wasn't getting the proper blood flow for development or growth. And so he was much smaller than people of his gestation should be. And we attribute that because I had had a previous procedure done to stop profuse bleeding that I had had from an ectopic miscarriage Mm -hmm. situation. And so That procedure, it's called uterine artery embolization, UAE, that saved my uterus because if the bleeding didn't stop, they said I'd have to get a hysterectomy. This was all in the hospital. And I just remember bawling the minute the doctor left. I mean, I just lost it. I was so overcome and I was blood transfusion level ready because I had already lost so much blood and I just prayed. Mm. I remember in that moment just praying, saying, I can't do this anymore whatever needs to be done is going to be done because it's out of my control. But that UAE did stop the bleeding and I was able to, you know, keep my uterus. And so we think that procedure prevented the proper blood flow to my son, Henry. Mm. And so since he was born, 33 weeks, three pounds, 14 ounces, he was in the NICU for almost a month. So when he came home, my husband and I did around the clock watch for him. Someone was watching him for 24 hours a day Wow! for about two and a half to three months, just because the whole thing was traumatic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that situation was traumatic. The delivery was traumatic, but it was also everything that we had worked, you know, we'd worked so, it's not that we'd worked so hard to get him, but it was just that it was so painful. And there was so much work involved from a multitude of people, the doctors, insurance companies, myself, my husband taking off work, 
who was going to watch my daughter while we went to this procedure. And it really took a team, a village of people to get him here to earth. And so I thought, there's no way we're letting him go. Like, we've got to watch him. And my husband was completely on board. It wasn't even a question of, well, he's going to be okay because the doctors let him go. It was just like, yep, we're going to do this. And so I think I didn't really have that sigh of relief until he probably was about a year, just because all of the things that led up to him arriving here Mm -hmm. were just so intense. To go through everything that you went through and then not have that moment to exhale when he's born feels so unfair. It did. Yeah, admittedly it did. But I kept going back to what I was grateful for. Mm. I think by this time I was so exhausted. I was mentally done and I thought, there's nothing more for me to do. Like I, Carol, can only do so much. So he's here. And that's it. I'm going to do what I can. We're going to watch after him. We're going to care for him, of course. But beyond this, like everything else that comes after this is just beyond me. Yeah. I kind of had that moment of surrender almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about what were some of your coping mechanisms during this journey? And I know you found hope and comfort in kind of an unlikely place that really, really stuck with you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So all of the things that I did, and like I mentioned, I did everything that you can think of, probably except the oils and the pineapple. Um, (laughs) But I did everything, just whatever I could get my hands on. And so everything that I did was basically a service. Even if it was like talking to someone, talking to a friend, texting someone, going to a support group, the fertility, the yoga, the acupuncture, the meditation, like everything was a service. And so it made me feel really great after I felt like I was doing something. I was taking action. It was something I could control in my own world, in the uncontrollable world of fertility. And I also bought myself during this time a bracelet off of Etsy. It was called a fertility bracelet. I could pick the stone. I could pick the little like charm thing that hung from it. I still have it. It's in my drawer. And what I found was that was the only thing out of all of the things that I did that I could actually hold. And it was something I took with me everywhere. So even on the days that I was pissed, on the days that it was dark, I still, you know, put it in my purse and I'd go to the fertility clinic. On the days that I would see yet another announcement on Facebook of someone with their pregnancy. Um, Which is every day when you're going through infertility. Every day someone posts an ultrasound picture. Exactly. And you're thrilled. You are so thrilled for them. It has nothing to do with them. Right. But you're devastated for you. Yeah. Right. And so I would just slap that sucker on my wrist and be like, okay, okay. So it was a lot of self-talk that I did. And this thing that I felt on my wrist, I think helped me. And I should preface by saying it's not magical. This bracelet is not magical (laughs) at all. I got pregnant from IVF, one of the rounds of IVF that I did. And we did genetic screening of the embryo to make sure everything was genetically okay. And, you know, we really did what we could in our world. But I felt like the bracelet, because it was something I could hold, because it was something I could actually see and touch and like just kind of put in my hand and just feel It would be like my own daily reminder of it's going to be okay. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And I think even though this whole thing was super, you know, dark and depressing and very heavy and just such a marathon of exhaustion, I still knew I had this knowing inside of me that even if we were, you know, just to move on as a family of three, my life was going to be okay. I would be sad and devastated for a while, 
but I was going to live through this. I was Mm going to survive. I was going to get through this because I just was. And there was something about touching like the tactile, you know, part of that, that gave me a little bit of comfort. And so, yeah, that's what I did. And so that actually kind of morphed into what we're doing now. And if you had asked me five or 10 years ago, do you think you're going to start a small jewelry business? (laughs) where every piece has a meaning behind it, I would have said to you, you are nuts because I had never made jewelry before in my life. I think the only time I'd made jewelry was at summer camp. You know, we'd make little friendship bracelets or whatever, but I don't know. It's just so interesting how the thoughts and things come into play. But after Henry came home and it was, I think during one of my shifts in the early morning hours, I was just thinking, I want to get back to work because at this time I had been a stay-at-home mom for a few years with my job being, I felt like to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, what if we did this thing where we created jewelry that brought hope to other people? And it kept coming back to me. And I told my husband and he was like, you know, okay, why don't you take some classes and see how that feels? So I took some classes in the area. It was still feeling good. And we said, okay, well, let's see if this might actually be a you know, a product that people would want to buy. I went to a graduation dinner. I didn't have a business card on me, no signage on the table. It was just a tablecloth with some pieces of jewelry. And I sold some pieces. And so that was kind of our first foray into do people really want this? Do they think it's something beyond just, you know, a pretty piece of jewelry? Mm -hmm. And it kind of evolved from there. We first started off as fertility jewelry, and so our three buckets were hope, strength, and peace. But I found out fairly soon into the process that it wasn't a space I constantly wanted to live in Mm. because I had lived in it for so long. And I had lived in it, like I really lived in it, right? I was down in the weeds, down in the depths of it all. And so that evolved into what we have now, which is purposeful, intentional jewelry. So it's for anyone going through kind of anything in their life, which we all are. And each piece has a meaning behind it. So it goes either with the property of the stone or whatever the pendant may look like. Your stuff is so beautiful. So you sent me a necklace after our first conversation. And what I loved was the necklace itself was beautiful, but the way it was packaged, and I think this is so meaningful as a gift, is that it's packaged on this card that has meaning behind it. And so the one you sent me was the necklace, the card said connected. And that was so perfect for us having just had this really amazing connection in this call that we had done. And so it goes beyond just the beauty of the jewelry to have like something really special and meaningful, which I thought was so, so cool. I'm so glad you said that. Our tagline or our motto is it's jewelry to wear with meaning to share. Mm -hmm. We really do believe to our core that your words and your thoughts, they matter. They carry so much weight in your life. Your self-talk matters. And I know that to be true because I lived it. And so the idea with this is you keep the jewelry and every piece comes on a postcard. So for whoever else is going through something in their lives, you are welcome to send that postcard to them to uplift their days. Mm. I feel like when we affirm other people, it's very powerful. It's very impactful. Um, I still remember compliments I got from when I was a little kid, you know, just from people I admired or a teacher or my grandma or someone. And so I think it's super important to 
let people know that you care about them, that you're thinking about them and that they matter and they hold a special place in your heart because they are they are worthy of being here on this earth. They are enough, you know, just as they are. There's nothing to prove. Right. So there's that piece affirming other people. But I think what it really comes down to and what this business is really about is people have to be able to find the affirmation within themselves because it really does come down to self. So if you believe it, and this is the story you're telling yourself, because again, your self-talk and your narrative matters, then I think that's it. That is what matters. Definitely. Definitely. So tell us where people can find Asha Blooms and find the jewelry and connect with you and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So our website, ashablooms.com. And then on Instagram, we are at Asha Blooms. And on Facebook, we are at Asha Blooms Jewelry. Wrong. I said Asha Blooms. (laughs) Yeah. No worries. No worries at all. I'll make a note. (laughs) Um, So this has been so awesome, Carol. And I appreciate you being extremely vulnerable and open and sharing just really deeply into your journey. Before I let you go, let us know how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. I do so many things for myself, just by myself. I get my hair done quite often. I have to say (laughs) I have got these gray hairs that have been slowly creeping up in my life and I have dark hair. So it's like a thing. I want to feel good. I think I go like every five weeks and I get my hair professionally dyed. And I just do a lot of things, whether it's, you know, by myself or with other mom friends, Mm -hmm. going out to dinners, I go see concerts, I book author events. I'm going to go see Ali Wong in a few weeks with another friend. So So, fun. Yes. So I really carve out that space because it is so true. You have to show up for yourself so you can be fully present for others. I I believe it now. Oh, yeah. It definitely refuels you for sure. Yeah. I so appreciate you, Carol. And I know that there's people listening today who have been impacted by fertility and probably more than that. I think there's going to be people who have been impacted by secondary fertility because I think I have people show up here who are typically already moms. And so I think there's going to be a lot of people who have been in that place that you were, where they are, have that sense of feeling underwater and screaming. And I know that they're going to be really touched by your story. So thank you. Thank you for being here and participating in this conversation on the Shameless Mom Academy. I know it's going to touch some people who really need to hear your message today. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I loved it. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media 
tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.